Blog Talk Radio. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk the Podcast. In today's show, we are continuing with our series, Selecting Therapy Activities for Toddlers and Preschoolers with Language Delays. And we are up to part seven. And this show is actually a continuation of the topic that we started in show 300. This is show number 301. And we started out talking uh, in that show about how we get pretend play going. And I shared a four-step process for introducing pretend play, but before I get going, I always forget that I should do these little announcements (laughs) before I start with what the topic is. And let me uh, mention that we have a great 20% off sale going on with the coupon code that you received in your email. If you're on my email list, if you don't get regular emails from me, it is so easy to do. Just go to teachmetotalk.com, scroll down to the green bar where it says sign up. You'll put your email address in, you'll confirm it, then you'll get a free parent ebook which explains how language develops. And so if you're a parent and have not looked at that, it is great information for you because you'll really get to uh, a really simplified but detailed explanation of how children learn to communicate. And again, if you have not taken a look at that, I just highly recommend it because it. so many parents share with me that they didn't really understand how words develop and they didn't understand how important understanding language is and they didn't know how important social interaction is to language. They just sort of thought that kids just talked one day almost out of the blue, and it does not happen like that at all. <laughs> so get yourself a copy of that free ebook. Um, if you're a professional or a therapist like me, you can also use that information for parent education. A lot of therapists tell me that they print it off, they give it to parents on the first visit, and it sort of sets the stage for all the things that we have to work on before we expect that first word to emerge. So you'll get that. You'll get a little series of emails that everyone gets when they first sign up, kind of a best of from teachmetotalk.com. But the best thing is you get early notification of all sales. And I just really don't even advertise product sales on the website anymore. I pretty much use the email list. So that's the very best way to get information. And you'll also get a little notification when a new post is up or when I've done a new therapy tip of the week, which is coming up. (laughs) Uh, So anything like that. So I'd love for you to uh, sign up for that. And I just wanted to be sure that I'm mentioning that today. All right, that's it for announcements. Let's move on with what our topic is. So last week, we are all the way up to, and when we're looking at selecting therapy activities for children, early pretend play. And we talked about how important this is for language development. When children first begin to really show you that they can use an object for something else or that they understand that they are just playing or pretending, we know that they're becoming symbolic. And that, that new level of cognitive, cognitive maturation with symbolism is important because words are symbols. And I say that on a lot of shows, and if you've listened to me for a while, You've heard it, and you've heard it, and you've heard it, but it is such an important concept. Lots of children who are language delayed aren't there yet cognitively, so they really don't understand the that foundational skill, and kids have to really acquire that ability, that representational schema, if you want to kind of pull from more academic language, They have to have that ability before they're really able to understand what words are. That a shoe, just because we say shoe, that that represents that object that they slide on their foot that protects their foot from getting hurt. Shoe is just a symbol for that. And so, again, kids have to achieve that level of maturation and development concretely or with real objects and in real life before it can become an even higher level skill, which is what language is. And I hope that that explanation didn't get lost (laughs) in there with you and that you understand what I'm trying to say there because it's a really, really important part. So, So kids who aren't cognitively 
there yet or who aren't at this level, which is generally about the 12 to 15-month level, they're not developmentally ready to learn how to talk. And play is the very best insight that we have into a child's cognitive development. When we know that a kid is learning to use these objects representationally during play, learning how to um, act out something that's, that goes on in his real life that's not necessarily going on right now, but he can remember that that's what's happened before, and he can show you that he knows how to, how to play like that and how to pretend like that. That's a really, really, really important step. And so for kids who aren't doing that, no wonder they're not talking yet because cognitively they're just not there yet. And there are things we can do, so don't panic if you're a parent and you're thinking, well, that's it. Nobody's ever explained that to me. Okay, now what, what, what do I need to do? We're going to talk about that. We certainly talked about that in last week's show or last time's show, I think we missed last week because of Thanksgiving. I was shopping on Black Friday instead of doing the podcast like I normally do. Uh, but introducing pretend play, the, the steps that we talked about last time, that's how you get it going. And so today we're extending this topic. Now let's review those four little steps in case you missed it. If you did miss it, though, the best thing is going to be go back and listen to that show and then come back and listen to this one. But let's just zip through because today's show is a continuation of that discussion. So for introducing pretend play, we help a child learn to use familiar toys or objects appropriately or functionally, meaning what do you use a cup for? You drink from a cup. What do you use a hairbrush for? You brush your hair. What do you do with a hat? You put it on your head. So kids have to know what things are for. What's the object's intended use? That's the first step. The second step is help a child learn to use objects herself. So will she put the hat on her own head? Will she uh, pretend to drink from that cup? Will she use an object? Will she look at a book like she's reading, even though she can't read? Does she know how to do those things? Will she do those things herself? The next little step in introducing pretend play, which is where a lot of our little guys get hung up, is learning how to use an object on another person. That sets the stage for play to become interactive and for play. And again, we have to have interaction before we can have language because that's what language is. It's a way to communicate with other people. So again, that's a really, really important step, not only from a play perspective, but from a communication perspective as well. So we talked about ways that you can get that going. You can help a child learn how to use those objects, those little uh, toys or items that you're playing with during play with you. And we talked about that cute little idea with the pretend with me pack but you can do it all day long with other things you just have to have you the kid in that object so you don't really need a big routine for playing but for so many children that structure and that predictability will help them learn how to use these objects more consistently rather than it just being something that's kind of hit or miss that you try to do with them kind of hit or miss and so that's why I really really encourage parents and therapists to think about introducing play in this really purposeful and intentional way kids really do respond to that structure and of knowing what is what what's going to come next to knowing what's expected of them the last little step in that four-step process was learn to combine objects and pretend play and that's what we're picking up here today so kids first start to combine objects and we talked about some examples last time we talked about all the things that kids could do with the baby doll uh, and that we put that in our little pretend with me backpack and how we were first going to use those objects on the child himself or let him learn how to do that and then help the child use the object on another person, which would be you or mom or someone else that's there, and then how to start to put those objects together. So remember we had the spoon in the bowl and we said that a kid could learn how to stir with the pretend to stir with the spoon and then he would use that spoon to feed first feed himself and then pretend he's feeding mom and then he pretend he's feeding that baby doll. That's combining objects. So that's where we're picking up today. Now, when we think about that, the first kinds of objects that kids combine like that are with using objects just like they use them in real life. So with familiar routines that a child experiences. So let's talk about some examples for that. That would be uh, like eating, pretending to eat, like we've already talked about, with he puts the spoon in his mouth or she pretends that she's, she puts that cup up to her mouth like she's taking a drink, pretending to take a bath. 
So remember we said one of our items in our Pretend With Me backpack, or I hope I said this, could have been a washcloth or a dried out baby wipe. We just want them to pretend that they're washing something, pretending that they're sleeping. Can you see how we can take those really familiar experiences that a kid does, really does, eat, take a bath, sleep, uh, all, all the little things that he does, and then he's going to start there with recreating as he begins to pretend. So can you see how that would be the very best place to start with those kinds of things? So again, go back and listen to that show for examples of great ways to get that going. Now let's talk about, we talked about pretending to eat, pretending to take a bath, pretending to go to sleep. Playing the night-night game, which is what I call when we're pretending that we're sleeping, we're fake sleeping, that is so much fun for toddlers. And your routine may be different than mine. I think anyone who's a therapist or who's good with kids knows how much fun it is to kind of pretend like you're sleeping and you'll, you know, act like you're going to put your head down and close your eyes and snore or something like that. Any little version that you want to do like that is a great way to get that going. And let me just say, when a kid finds that immediately, you know <laughs> that, that cognitively that it just means that he's not there yet. He doesn't understand what you're trying to do. He doesn't get that it's fun and that it's a game and that you are replicating sleep. And so you may have to do it with kids with delays a lot before that becomes meaningful. Kids are generally going to pick that up when they're developmentally around that. 12-month mark, 12 to 18-month mark when they start really realizing what you're doing there. If you have a two-year-old who's who doesn't understand that that's a game and you're pretending to sleep or pretending to eat, you know, they get kind of mad when they realize something's not on the spoon or something's not in the cup. We talked about this a little bit last week, but you know, I mean, that's a red flag. That's a marker that cognitively they're not at that 12-month level yet. They're not moving toward that 18-month developmental level yet. And again, this could happen if a kid is two or three or four. That's, that's what delay means or disorder means or whatever diagnosis they have. Just, their brain maturation and development is just not caught up yet, just, just not at that level. And so we have to think about these things too. And again, not in a way to kind of make you panic and think, what am I going to do? You just keep building that foundation. You just keep you know, if you have a kid who's cognitively not there, go back and listen to the series that we did early in this year, the, I think it's 16 or 17 shows with the 11 skills that emerge before toddlers can realistically start to use words. That series walked us through all of the things that we do to get a kid there cognitively or developmentally. So go back and listen to that show. But for Hopefully, for the child that you're thinking about, or if you're a therapist, most of the kids on your caseload, even though we work with kids with delays, most of the time they will be approaching the level developmentally where this would be expected and fun for them. And if you keep doing it and keep playing, you may have to add some more props. You may have to really do this closer to bedtime or nap time so they make that association you may have to get a blanket or a pillow or something that lets them make that association so you make it even more concrete than it would be if you weren't using any sort of little prop so the night night game is a great way to get that going now if you need more specific ideas about how to play those little social games and stuff let me just add this little plug for my book teach me to play with you because that book will give you step by step by step by step, not only for a game like the night-night game, but other fun little social routines. And my, my guess would be if you have a child who's not, who doesn't understand pretending to sleep yet, who's closer to two or over two or three, they also need help with the social interaction piece. So Teach Me to Play With You is a great, great resource. And again, it'll walk you through the steps and the detailed explanation for getting a kid to understand this and how to play. All right, so we talked about here that we want children, they first begin to pretend with familiar routines and objects that a child experiences. And then what's that next little bump up? It would be beginning to pretend with familiar routines that a child only observes. So what do I mean by that? That means an activity that a kid sees someone do 
a mom, his dad, the babysitter, an older sibling, but that they don't necessarily do yet. So like cooking. Boy, kids watch their parents prepare prepare food all the time, don't they? Or cleaning. Or even something like driving. Or maybe even a personal care routine. That's how a lot of kids get potty trained. They see if they're a little boy, they see daddy do his business in the bathroom, and they want to do it too. So this is how this next little level of play development emerges. They begin to copy things that they have seen other people do during everyday life, uh, and they want to do that too. So let's talk about how we can help a child begin to do these things. So one activity that I mentioned that's super fun at this developmental level is house cleaning activities. Now, I think house cleaning activities are always a big hit, and they are a great option for toddlers who are active and need to move. So let's say that you've been doing some of this pretending stuff, and you feel that your little friend is, you're losing his or her attention because they've been sitting with you for 10 minutes or so, maybe longer, maybe shorter, and you think, gosh, they just really need to get up and kind of change the pace here, and they need to, they might be not quite overstimulated yet, but they're sort of getting to that point, and you can see that that's about to kick in. House cleaning activities actually will help you continue your goal and your work on pretend play with a little friend at this developmental phase and still give them the movement bump that they need. So any kind of little toddler broom, uh, you can pick that up at the Dollar Tree, or, or maybe not the Dollar Tree, but the Dollar Store, one of those other cheaper places for just a few bucks, and they are so much fun. All three of my kids, the two boys and the my child, my daughter, who, and you know, again, they're all grown now, all in their 20s, but they all loved just that little stinking broom, <laughs> more so than any other fancier birthday present or Christmas present or, or any other thing that they could have gotten. They really, really enjoyed that. And even in uh, with my little clients over these past 20-something years have enjoyed that too. So that might be an idea for you to add to your uh, therapy inventory if you're a therapist and still get to take your own toys. And certainly if you're a parent and if you have a kid who, again, uh, is mobile and has enough physical coordination to be able to stand and use the broom, and again, they're not going to be completely proficient with sweeping or mopping or, you know, whatever little housework tool you decide to give them, but they do need that physical coordination piece to be moving, you know, pretty fairly along before they're able to do it. But even now there are vacuum cleaners that I think there's some that even work. Now, I don't have any of those uh, toys, but I know that I've seen a lot of those that kids really, really get into. My point here is you can accomplish still working on your goal of teaching pretend play, even when you're up moving around like that, and and especially for those kids who are right on the cusp of being able to uh, pretend like this. Now, in typical development, this kind of pretending to do housework activities usually emerges like in that 15 to 18-month range, and again, that makes a lot of sense because that's when Typically, kids walk at about a year, and so they've had some practice and gotten that, that physical piece all pulled together so that they can move about and not fall or crash as much. And so they're able to use their arms and their hands while they are standing and while they are moving, so their balance is a lot better. So that makes a lot of sense to me. And let me just say again, if I'm not seeing this early housework um, imitating housework activities, dusting, trying to sweep, trying to do those kinds of things that they've seen their parents do by about 24 months, I do suspect a cognitive delay. And that's one of the things that I talk to parents about when I'm meeting them for the first time in an evaluation or in those first few sessions where I'm gathering information about a child's play skills. I'll ask things like, does he ever try to copy you when you're doing housework? Will he grab something if you are dusting and try to dust too. Do you ever see any kind of little early pretending like that? And it's important information because this is a pretty universal skill. It doesn't just happen um, in kids with higher socioeconomic levels or in kids who, you know, it, it happens even with children who live in third world countries. And again, they, they may be imitating sort of a different routine 
but it, my point here is that it's very, very universal to copy what they familiar routines that they see other people do all day long. So think about other things that you can, other ways that you can introduce these kinds of familiar activities that a child has observed. And we talked about props for the night-night game. And certainly for house cleaning, they will need some child size tools to be able to accomplish that although my daughter was notorious for trying to use the big vacuum cleaner or the the adult size broom she really got into those housekeeping activities and lots of kids will do that too so think about here pretending to cook like mom or dad what what are your props you'll need you need some dishes and a pan right you don't have to have the big elaborate kitchen play set but it helps <laughs> Uh, so that if you uh, a kid has a child-sized stove that he's, or um, the microwave that we've talked about over the past few shows, I'm kind of obsessed with my toy microwave. So those kinds of props will help get this kind of play going too. Remember when we talked about water play a couple of shows back and this when we were talking about sensory activities? And remember on last the show last time I said water play is a great transition into early pretending and that's because of washing those darn dishes we're doing that in real life with real soap and water and again it's a game and it's fun and kids love it but after they've done that for a while don't do it don't introduce the water just have the dishes and the rag or the cloth whatever or sponge whatever that you had used to really wash the dishes see if you can get it going without the water and if you do have one of those uh, pretend kitchen sets and it has a little sink as a part of that, that that's a fantastic way to introduce that you're leaving out what made that activity so concrete with the real water but at the same time you're still providing those other props so that it makes sense to a child I hope that makes sense to you I hope that example really solidifies in your mind how we move a kid from doing something that's a real life activity to make it a little more pretend so you you will Give them some of those same props, but not provide every single thing that they need. And that lets you know that they're pretending. So the washing dishes is a nice segue activity when you're moving a child toward that uh, early pretend play. All right, we talked about object combinations a lot. And remember why this is such an important step for language development, not only at the beginning of language, when we all of my spiel about symbolism and how kids have to understand and have that cognitive maturation to know that when they're saying something, it really represents the real life object that they're using the word for. But let's talk about how important object combinations are for language development. I'm not sure if I mentioned it on, on the last show, and, and even if I did, it bears repeating. It's worth it because I want you to get this concept. If kids can't combine actions or objects in play in real life, they won't be able to do it symbolically, which is with words. So what does that mean? It means they may be stuck at that single word level for a long time. So they don't get to the point where they can do phrases. And if they can't do phrases, they can't use little sentences. And if they can't use little sentences, they can't use longer sentences. And they, they won't be able to have those nice conversations where you say something to them and they're saying something back that's, that's a, a, a more mature response with a phrase or a sentence. or and again, that, that back and forth piece, you can't really do the back and forth piece where it's really more like dialogue until we get kids to that, that level where they're really talking with phrases. So again, super, super important that we think about every single language skill that a child will achieve, we're going to see some evidence of that first on a, at a more concrete stage so that we'll see it more in play where they're combining objects and they're combining accents and they're sequencing with real life objects first before they do it with words, which, is, which are abstract and symbolic. So again, I hope I've reviewed that enough and, and said it in a way that maybe makes the light bulb go off for you if you've not thought about that before. As a parent, you probably haven't thought about that before and you shouldn't have. That's our job as therapists to help you know <laughs> how to think about it and what comes next and how, how it all relates and ties together. But if you're a therapist, you need to have ways to explain this to parents in real life terms, everyday language, so that they understand it. And I hope I've done a good enough job there so that you can get your own script going and, and tell parents, look, I know he gets kind of mad when we try to make him play with objects together like he really prefer let's use kind of a classic example here 
I always think about a kid who wants to just get down on his belly, you know, on the floor, on his little stomach there, and just all he wants to do is roll a car or a train or a tractor back and forth. And when you try to hook the trailer on the tractor or you try to put a figurine or a little character in the car or the truck, he loses it. Because all he's wanted to do is stick with that one toy. And a lot of times that's a sensory issue. But if you look kind of beyond that, what else does it entail? It's that he can't combine objects yet. And so you have to say to parents, look, this is why this play stuff is so critical for his future language development here. And if we can't get him to combine objects and sequence actions and play and use things together, he's never going to be able to do it with words. And so you've got to really, really think about that and be able to explain that to parents. So we've talked a lot about object combinations, but what do we do if that's still not happening? You just have to focus on it and double down. Um, Last week we talked a lot about, or last show, we talked a lot about things that seemed more girl-related. And you do not, with the baby dolls, you do not want to get so gender-specific here. So today I'm taking great care to share more examples that are uh, maybe more relevant to boys. But again, I have a tons of little girls who love all these things that we're talking about today, these more masculine play themes and play routines. Um, and, but the truth is a lot of kids do have some natural inborn tendencies to gravitate toward toys that are a little bit more feminine or a little bit more masculine, and that's okay too. But here with our object combinations, let me just, I've already given you a couple of examples of of ways that we would be super intentional and specific about helping kids learn how to combine objects, like I just talked about hooking the trailer on the back of the track toy tractor little from a little farm set, or like I said, putting the man in the truck to drive the truck, putting animals in the barn, having the animals you know, and you'll have a little trough there maybe and have the animals pretend to drink from the trough. Those are object combinations. A soldier on a horse, a hat on a cowboy, putting little people from the Fisher Price, little people uh, school set, just starting with putting the characters in the bus. If a kid likes Jake and the Neverland Pirates, putting the pirate in the ship. <laughs> so those really simple early easy combinations. Now, if you have seen my Is It Autism a course that I published this summer, in part two of that course, we focus strictly on intervention. And so if you're a therapist that has not gotten yourself a copy of that course, do it because <laughs> it'll change how you think about designing those initial treatment plans and maybe help you think about some other areas that you haven't addressed like this with play. And so there's a little boy on there that I've, I've worked with. He's an out-of-town client. I've seen him here, and then I've also seen him in his hometown. And he had a ton of difficulty with this, with learning how to combine objects in play. Actually, he didn't really play at all, and his parents are uh, very um, economically uh, blessed. And so they have had toys, lots and lots and lots of toys that this sweet little boy never played with. And so we had to work hard on getting these early, easy object combinations going. Now, you can pair this with receptive language pretty uh, well. And if you watch the video and remember this, the little guy liked a lot of Disney characters. So we just started with him taking one of those characters and doing one other action with it to combine. And most of the time, that was, again, the example I've already given with the Jake and the Neverland Pirates little ship where I was just having him put Woody in the boat, put Buzz in the boat, put Simba in the boat, <laughs> whatever little character we had, and just those easy, easy, easy receptive language commands to really focus on expanding his play skills too. So you can kind of do double duty there too. Now, when we don't see a kid doing this, again, naturally, it is a big light bulb to us or a big sign here that we're going to have to work on that to get that going. Don't just dismiss it and say, well, when he wants to play, he'll play. Or, well, he just doesn't like this toy. I've got to go out and buy 15 other toys. I just haven't found what he likes yet. 
usually that's not it, guys. It's not that he won't play. It's that he – but we have to get that going. And, again, this really, as I've already said here, but it's my best way to express it, double down (laughs) on helping him learn how to combine those objects in play. So model, 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 model what you want him to do. Sometimes I just have gotten to the point where with some children that I just take everything else away other than the two things that I want him to combine, and we do it two or three times in a row, and then he, I let him just you know go look at something else or play with something else, and then we go right back to where we were working, and we just use that same little two-item set and just repeat, repeat, repeat that play scheme of what we want him to do. And we might have to – we might – Again, let's just use the example of um, putting, let's just say, a a man on a motorcycle or a man in a truck. Just keep it really, really simple. We're going to put that man in the truck, roll it around a little bit. I'm going to take the man out, and I'm talking while we're doing this. You know, I'm saying, oh, man's in. Oh, let's make him go. Go, go, go. You know, we're talking, and then after – when I feel like I'm about to lose him, I take the man out and see if he's going to put the man right back in. And I'm still doing my sound effects. And we may do that for as long as he'll do it with me. And then we go away. We do something else. But then, boy, within three or four minutes, I'm going to try to get him right back and repeat that same play scheme. And I might try to do that 20 times in one session. And if he's getting bored with the man in the truck and he's, and, and I see some mastery that he's really understanding it, I'm just going to switch to another kind of object combination that's really simple, but that I'm going to make sure he understands it. So remember that focus and how intense and purposeful you have to be with that. And you still keep it playful. I'm not saying that you're not fun and that you are making the child miserable. I'm just saying that you have to repeat it enough so that it it sticks and so that he really, really learns. And I'm constantly thinking, how can I get this kid to combine objects? How can he begin to use two items together? And I'll really, really brainstorm with mom and dad about how they can do that. In the tub, let's talk about bath time. You know, I may say, hey, we've got to get a boat or a car or or something in there that a kid can can use this very familiar play routine with, but we're going to change our setting a little bit. You know, that's called carryover or generalization. I want him to learn to do the same kinds of things that that he's done with his little man and truck, we want him to be able to do that in the bathtub. So, or or let's say we expand it, I'll say, you know, we're working on using these two objects together. Why don't you just show him how to wash every little toy he has in the tub? So get a bath cloth and you're just going to wash the duck and then you're going to wash the boat and you're, you're going to wash the, you know, whatever else is the ball, whatever else is in the tub with you there. Uh, think about what you could do at mealtime or, or snack time. How can you get a kid to combine those objects? You might have him putting his little snacks in and out of the bowl, which kids like to do anyway. That's an early little play routine. So can you see how all of this fits together developmentally? We've talked about stirring with the spoon in the bowl. <laughs> we might even do something fun, a little cute social routine where we're clanging our glasses together to do cheers. So again, any little thing that you can do where you think, how can I get this kid to use two objects together. So so that's on that. That's what we do when that object combination is hard. It is a phase that I've seen kids kind of get stuck at a lot. So I wanted to be sure that I talked about how important it is and gave you some really concrete examples of how you can work on that with kids. So let's move right along here. Last week I mentioned the play sequencing where we are taking – one object or one um, action, and we're doing that with several different objects. Here, let's review that really quickly. In typical development, that happens at 18 to 24 months. But remember, with kids with delays, we may may not see that till two and a half or closer to three. That's the nature of delay. It's all late. (laughs) But we have to see this phase coming in no matter when it happens. Uh, according to the child's chronological age. But again, this is where the kid, you may see them, let's take the example we did last week with play sequencing. They're going to feed the same doll over and over and over again. And remember what we said about sequencing, that next little step would be that a child begins to set out two or three different dolls and feed all of them. So what are some things we can do like this? for other getting that play sequencing going. We might do it with animals in the barn, the boy-related examples that we've already talked about. 
So we might have our little Fisher Price cow and horse and sheep, and we're going to make them all eat the hay. Or we make all of those animals pretend like they're taking a drink of water from the trough. And remember, if kids don't seem to understand that you're pretending, if you are taking the cow and putting him in with the little trough or the little uh, the little hay bale, and your purpose here is pretend play, I'm going to get the kid to use the object and pretend like he's eating, uh, the little your little sound effects will help with that. Sometimes I'll go and even get water. <laughs> so that a kid really under put a drop or two of water in the little trough so a kid understands that that's what you're trying to get them to do. Now, some children and sometimes kids will not pick this up as easily because you're making the character perform the action. So if kids don't get it automatically, don't panic yet. That may be a little later, but it's certainly a good example here of play sequencing. Uh, remember, we talked about water play. So what could you do here for play sequencing? We talked about last week getting the pretend bathtub. So what might you do? You might gather some uh, beyond the baby doll, get some other dolls. So you have two or three dolls there to do it. Or the little Disney characters or other kinds of cartoon characters we've talked about. Get lots of those. Uh, it, well, And by lots, I mean three or four, not 17, but several that they can pretend like they're taking a bath and the child is washing them or pretend like they're swimming. I think I mentioned that little Barbie swimming pool that I use all the time, and I believe I posted that a couple of weeks ago when we talked about water play. And again, this is a super way to, to carry over that pretend play theme when it starts out as a sensory activity, and then we move it to pretending. Uh, here we might do something with cars, if a kid's really into that. You know, he doesn't just drive one car into the garage. We have him drive two or three cars into the garage. Another toy that's really fun here is a vehicle carrier and I think in my I think it's in my DVD teach me to listen and obey too where I'm using that with several little boys and boy that was a big hit and that toy happened to just be at the place that we were videoing uh, that that DVD and I had never played with that in therapy my own children had had that and I just realized how fun that was and then when I started to think about why did that toy really resonate with so many kids it's because it's a great first example for play sequencing they can do the same action over and over and over with lots of different objects so they can put the car in and then another race car in and then a truck in and then they can even go get their Thomas trains and put them in the vehicle carrier. So think about those kinds of things and how important that is to getting sequencing going. And so remember here, you're taking several objects, but you're performing the same action over and over and over. And that is a little different than how we usually think about play sequencing. Usually we think about the same object with several actions, but here it's different. You're taking several objects with the same action. So that's what comes first, and that's where a lot of our kids are kind of stuck. And if we'll change it a little bit to think about same action but several different objects, that may help kids get over the hump. Now, for play to be classified as symbolic, I just said this a second ago about sound effects or the kid just looks at you or smiles in a way has that little twinkle in his eye so that you know he knows he's playing. He knows he's pretending. And so we really, really want to look for that. If a kid is still, they seem a little bit confused that, um, you know, they try to make the, let's say they're the, that we've gone back to that example where you have the, the farm animals and you are pretending that the cow is eating the hay. If the kid isn't really sort of into that and you see him really messing with the cow's mouth, <laughs> he's sort of telling you, I don't get that you're having him really eat because I don't really see that food going in his mouth. So that kind of kid may be inquisitive and just kind of gone on to the next level like, gosh, I really wish that this cow's mouth would open so I could see this. But more often than not, he really doesn't get what you're trying to do. So you may have to back up a little bit and be a little bit more concrete with those kinds of kids. They may not. They may be back with that four-step process that we talked about at the beginning of the show. You may have jumped ahead a little too far. Maybe you need to back up and practice more with those earlier combinations on himself and on another person and don't combine with different uh, toys just yet. One other point that I have not mentioned yet in this series, but it's so, so important, 
anytime you introduce a novel toy, a kid with a language delay may get super, super quiet. Or um, just, again, you may have heard lots and lots of language, but you bring out this new thing that a kid really likes or he's never seen before, and he may just completely shut down. Uh, why is that? He's taking it all in. He's processing. He's learning how the toys work. So don't panic when that happens. And I'll try to tell moms that a lot. They'll say, I just don't understand it. He likes the toy so much. Why did he all of a sudden just shut down? Why did it look like he, that he, or why did it, he's not using very many words anymore? What happened? That's natural. It's new. He's having to learn it all. And again, think about it all and make those connections and make those associations. So anytime you're introducing a brand new kind of play or a super cool new toy, expect that a kid would be a little bit quiet at the beginning. And then as he acclimates and becomes more familiar with the toy or the routine, then he'll resume his language with you. He'll, if he's been kind of chatty, even at a single word level, you'll start to hear those words again. But give him some time at the beginning to really learn how the toy works so that he uh, has a chance to, again, uh, uh, think about it and learn about it and remember it and get, get all that going. Again, that's an internal process before you make a lot of demands for expressive language. All right, so this next little phase of pretend play here, we're going to bump it up a little bit more. This is where a kid uses these multi-scheme combinations, meaning this is where he sequences those other actions. So this is where a kid might bump up to, let's use the baby doll example. They might stir the food in the bowl and they give the doll a bite and then pretend that they're going to wipe the doll's mouth, that the doll has gotten messy when they fed them. Or they feed the doll, you know, four or five bites in a row. And then they try to give the doll a drink, okay? That kind of sequencing really does start to happen around the age of two. Experts tell us and research tells us that by about 24 to 30 months of age, they'll sequence up to three actions with one character or one um, kind of play thing. So let's use it with cars. So the child might take a little car and say that you've gotten a little pretend gas station there, the Fisher-Price gas station. So the, the kid might drive the car for a little bit, and then he might pretend he's getting gas, and then he might park the car in the garage. So up to three actions with one character. Sometimes we expect too much. We want them to do it 25 times in a row, and they're just not quite ready for that. So I wanted to be sure that you keep that in mind about what's developmentally realistic uh, for children. And here is the phase, too, where kids begin to really manipulate dolls or characters to perform those actions. So remember just a few minutes ago when I said they may not be quite to the point where they can make the cow pretend to eat the hay yet, give them a little bit more time because that's that next little phase up. Now, a cool thing that happens here at about this two-and-a-half-year-old developmental level is kids start to use object substitution. And again, the reason that I'm explaining this in such great detail and with age ranges here is sometimes we expect kids to do this way too early. So what would an example of object substitution be? That would be maybe pretending that a block is a phone or that they tag their fork when they're eating and they fly it like an airplane. Or they might take a pillow and pretend like it's their baby doll and hug it and kiss it like it's a baby. So that's usually at about two and a half where we see that kind of real pretending emerge. And that's how I think about it and talk to parents about it, where we use one object to represent another object. And a lot of times, again, we're trying to get a kid who is just turning two, but who has a language age equivalency of about 15 to 18 months. We're expecting them to pretend in that way and really use objects that are not um, that are maybe similar but not close enough so that a kid seems confused about what you're trying to get him to do, it's because he hasn't mastered object substitution yet or it's nowhere close to that. So that's another important point that I wanted to mention there. And let me just skip on really quickly so that we can get these next two little phases in. 
uh, before we're finished with the show. And the reason that I'm going over this pretty quickly is because a lot of our kids with language delays are not going to be there developmentally when they are still in this toddler period. And remember how we talked about developmental age versus chronological age? That's a really, really, really important point that we need um, to constantly think about and and share with parents as therapists. So many times in play when children are leaving us and when they are avoiding play routines, again, we think it's because they don't like it, but it's really that they don't understand it. So when we're trying to introduce something that's supposed to come in at 30 months or 36 months, even if the child is that chronological age, He's got a language delay, so we know that he could also, again, have that cognitive piece that's delayed. He's just not thinking like he's two and a half or three yet. And so we can't expect these higher level of uh, higher phases of play to be appropriate for that kind of kid yet. So we really do have to pull back our expectations, but that's one reason I wanted to share this here because a lot of us get really, really um, – just ahead of ourselves and we think we're going to introduce pretend play to a kid. So then we think, oh, well, we're going to do dress up when he's two. Now, some two-year-olds will likely be ready for that, but a lot of our little guys with language delays won't. Or we'll think, I want to really teach him how to come up with new endings to these play routines that he's done. Or I want him to really pretend without props. Those are all things that happen in that developmental range between 30 and 36 months. And when you have a kid who is not using phrases yet, we know that he's probably not at that even 24-month developmental level yet. So can you see how we've jumped ahead of him by six months to a year? And we're thinking, you know, gosh, why won't he play with me like this? Why isn't this working out? Why isn't this easier? It's because he's not there yet, and we've just jumped too far ahead. So those three things that I've just mentioned, enacting new endings to play routines, or even pretending with less familiar routines. Let's say that you have a kid on your caseload who's, oh, 27, 30 months old, so over that second birthday, getting close to two and a half, but you want him to play with something like the zoo, your zoo animals, but he's never been to the zoo before. Or you want him to uh, play something that looks like a little schoolhouse. He's never been to school before. He has no real-life experience from which to pull <laughs> uh, memories or, or even how to, how to know how to use all of those little characters and ideas that you're trying to present together. That's all brand spanking new to him. So one of the things that we need to do is really adjust our expectations. And the other thing we need to do is talk with parents and, and even us ourselves as ways to provide that real life experience so that those kinds of new play routines will be applicable. Even something like a birthday party, pretending birthday party, that's a, something that's more like a three-year-old idea than a two-year-old idea, unless they've been to a lot of birthday parties. And if they have that regular real life experience of there's something that looks like a cake, and there's something that looks like a candle, and then the candle, there's something that looks like fire on top of the candle. Unless they've done that several times in real life, it doesn't make sense for you to make a Play-Doh pretend cake and try to blow out the birthday candle. So I hope that that example will help you be a little bit more realistic as you're introducing these pretend play routines. They have to have some familiarity with the real-life event before you move on and, and get that going in pretend play. Now, you can, again, do a lot of this with, with props, with play sets, which will be fantastic for kids and great experiences. But, again, kids have to have enough real-life experience so that it all becomes relative. The other things that I wanted to mention here, and I think I've gla uh, glossed over it, but, but I want to be sure that you really, really get it, other things that are appropriate for kids who are developmentally three, early role play like dress up or fantasy play, that comes after a developmental age of about 36 months. Associated play, that means playing with other children cooperatively, <laughs> meaning that there's a little game and they, and, and that's the next thing, games with rules. Any of those things really aren't appropriate for two-year-olds and certainly not appropriate for two-year-olds with language delays 
or, or cognitive delay, some component of that. So you have to really, really keep that in mind and make sure that you are introducing, even in the context of pretend play, things that make sense developmentally. So you can't have expectations that are beyond what a child uh, can really, really do. All right, I hope that that's given you enough information to get going and move kids a little further along with their pretend play. Remember, sets are super, super important. And by sets, I mean uh, something that has a, a house with a lot of little people and other little accessories. Or uh, we talked about the farm sets or uh, the superhero sets. Those are all great examples of things that we can use and we always want to tailor that to a child's interest. We always want to make sure that we're teaching object combinations first and that he has enough real life experience, not only things that he does or or especially of what he has seen other people do so that he can pull those previous experiences and memories in. And remember kids have to do this in a concrete way before they're able to do it in an abstract way or a symbolic way with language. So be sure that you're thinking about all of that when you're introducing uh, pretend play with your little clients or with your own child. Now, I know we, inter we uh, reviewed a lot of topics today in this show, and I didn't mean for it to be detailed, so it wasn't. I just wanted to really introduce this stuff and really kind of um, intersplice these topics, especially with what we can do when pretend play is not moving along like we want it to. And I also wanted a big takeaway message from this show to be, even when we're introducing pretend play, is that there's a sequence that kids learn it. So don't get too far ahead of yourself. Don't think about, okay, pretend play, I'm going to come up with this really elaborate uh, you know, bank robbery scheme or something for a two-year-old, unless they've watched a lot of TV, they, that, that won't make any sense to them. So keep everything relative and relevant uh, from their real-life experiences, and you are going to have a lot more success with your uh, pretend play attempts. Now, what I was trying to say is all of this information is included in the written summary of the post at teachmetotalk.com and you can get it there. If you're on the email list, you probably already got that uh, in your inbox. So I hope that you'll take that information and really, really be able to use it in this coming week. All right, that's all for today. Next week's show, we're going to be finishing up this series with selecting therapy activities for toddlers and preschoolers and we will be talking about early art activities. We'll also be able to pull in some uh, seasonal activities with Christmas and holiday related things. So that's all for this week. Have a great week. Um, hope you'll come back. Bye bye.